0: on the main board there nice Logan let me know when you're good all right um, good to see you guys we continue on in first John walking through first second and third John uh, under the theme follow me as we see God reminding uh, through John reminding his church at Ephesus Uh, the basics of the faith, what it means to really follow Jesus, uh, that God is a father, that we are his children, that through Jesus we have a savior, that we have access to our father, and that we are a family. The church is a family. And so uh, a lot of what we're doing now is covering, um, again, some of the things that we covered in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so it gets a little bit repetitive, but God's word always teaches us. Uh, It is always refreshing. And so uh, tonight, this will be hopefully refreshing to you. And so, I want to ask you um, this question, and you don't have to answer it out loud, uh, but the most important thing about each one of us is uh, what we believe about God well what do you what do you believe about God? You see the what is going to dictate the experience? What you believe about God will dictate how you uh, experience following Him. Now, when we talk about overcoming. And that's the topic for tonight, is that we are overcomers of, of uh, the world of sin, of our temptations, of all kinds of things. When we talk about overcoming, I know just in any congregation, and so Crosspoint's no different, any congregation you're going to have a wide variety of people who have varying levels of uh, uh, overcome in their sin. And so you're going to have a lot of people that on the outside, they look like they love Jesus, they follow Jesus. But if you really ask them, how is it going deep down? Like what's really happening in your life? Do you feel like you're overcoming temptation? Are you seeing the power of God? Is the gospel still good news to you? You would find a wide variety of answers. You see, what you believe about God changes everything. Some people, um, even in this congregation, I'm sure, uh, see God as um, an absentee landlord who has left us in a bad place while he is in a good place. And we call on him a lot because we got issues, but he is hard to get a hold of, and he doesn't always help us the way that we want or in the time and fashion that we want. Some of us view God as a boss. Uh, And every time we open up the Bible, we see a list of rules and commandments and things that we know we can't do this ourselves, but he heaps on more and more and more and more, and he's not very sympathetic, and he doesn't pull back when we need relief. Some of us view God as a judge who doesn't show much affection and he doesn't uh, interact with us much, but he waits for us to screw up so he can lay down the law. And that's not very fun. Some of us. We say we believe and we trust that Jesus died for our sins and we know there's a God out there, but really he's more of an impersonal force than a personal being. And so we say, I believe Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but I don't know them, I don't talk to them much. There's entire denominations of Christianity, maybe you've been a part of them, that don't emphasize a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And it changes everything. You see, no religion today or even in Jesus' day emphasizes that God is a father. For most religions, that's heresy, that God would be a father. That is so personal, that is, that, that is so intrusive, uh, that's so prideful for us to view God in heaven as a father. And yet, when the disciples asked Jesus, how, how do we pray? How did he start? He said, our father, our father, the religious... The the religious folks of his day saw that as um, a false teaching. They saw that as just plain blasphemy. That you could say, our Father, who do you think you are? You're calling God your Father. Jesus got in trouble with that. And yet God is our Father, and we see even in our culture that we have father wounds. We are a culture full of father wounds. Forty percent of kids tonight in our country will go to bed without a father in their home. In their lives. Uh, At no other time in history have we been to this point. To where right now 50%. 50% of all kids born to women 30 years of age or younger in our country. Will be born out of wedlock and without a father present in their lives. That's crazy. So we need to know what a good father looks like. And we need healing. And so tonight we're going to be talking about overcoming, but it's all in the context that God is our Father, that he loves us, and that he has good things planned for us. You see, most of us, when we talk about overcoming sin, recognize Jesus paid the price for our sin and and our consequence of sin in the past. But yet most of us settle for some sin residing in our present And we need to know he died not only for the consequence of past sin, but over the power of current sin and the presence of future sin. When we're in heaven with him and there will be no sin. And so as we walk through this tonight, I want you to look at your life. Let God analyze and sift your heart a little bit. Maybe you're struggling with some habitual sin, things that you know. I've got this issue. I've got pride I see things with my eyes on the internet that I should not be seen. I have lustful thoughts. I have a tendency to gossip. I have a tendency to, you fill in the blank. And I don't know how to get past it. Some of us are in turmoil of it. Some of us have just tried to have a relationship with God, regardless of it. Others, we just see um, maybe our relationship with God and our obedience to Him, our growth has just come to a halt. It's just so slow. It's like sludge. While others, uh, maybe we know someone in our life who struggles with drugs, alcohol, big things that we're intimidated to be able to counsel them in, and we think to ourselves, "I know God's powerful, but I don't know what to tell them." I hope I hope you have some answers. Uh, tonight. So let's walk through these five verses. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We'll read all five so you know where we're headed tonight, and then I'm going to ask you uh, four questions, four questions tonight as we walk through it piece by piece, and it'll help you to be an overcomer in Christ. First one, John says, now everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. Step by step, I'm going to ask you four questions that you can ponder in your heart. Verse 1a. So remember, when there's an A or a B next to it, A means the front half of the verse. B means the second half of the verse. He said that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So the first question I want to ask you in becoming an overcomer is what do you believe? What do you believe? Now, we have talked about this endlessly, it seems like, in the last three months But what do you believe? This is core. You see, every single time that you sit down to disciple someone, uh, to mentor someone, to counsel someone, you will be tempted to get caught up in whatever drama they have, whatever issues they have, whatever mistakes they might be making. And you're going to want to take that and, and, and see if you can help fix it without going back to the roots. And oftentimes that's what the enemy does, is he overwhelms you with drama in someone's life if you're discipling them or in your own life, if it's you, and you never get to the core issue. And so I want to I just remind you from the get-go, always, 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 no matter what they need to overcome, whatever sin it is, get back to the basics. Go back, even if it's someone that you know. Man, I know they're a Christian, no doubt about it. you got to ask them, what do you believe? And you got to dig deep. You see, it said that everyone, so you might have people in your life who you've given up on. You might have some folks who you think, (laughs) I don't know if they're ever going to come to Jesus. I don't know if they're ever going to listen to God. But everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, right here it says, Jesus is the Christ. Christ uh, is Hebrew for Messiah. And the Greek means the anointed one or the chosen one. Jesus uh, is um, Greek. It's transliterating the... Um, the Hebrew, which is simply Joshua or Savior. So when you hear Messiah, uh, Savior, you hear Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, but it's a term that's representing the anointed one, the chosen one, he's Savior. And, And more important than that, recognizing you and I, if we're in Christ, we're all anointed. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you are anointed to some degree. But when we talk about the anointed one, the chosen one, what we're really saying is, in the Old Testament, When someone was anointed by God, it was in an office of authority. And so when you hear the word Christ, Jesus is the Christ. What does it mean to believe he's the Christ? It means that he is king, that he is king. He was anointed to be the king, not just a king, not just an anointed one, but the anointed one, the king. You see, to put yourself via belief under the authority of a king means that you receive commands from them, but you also receive rest Under their protection, you receive provision from them. You receive deliverance from them. They rule over you, but there's a lot of blessings in having a king if it's a good king. Amen? And Jesus is a good king. To believe that he's the Christ is to believe that he is king. That's a big, big deal because it means that you're telling him, I believe that you are the king spiritually of this kingdom that I want to be a part of, the kingdom of God, and I am putting myself and my thoughts and my beliefs and my sin and the habitual stuff that I can't seem to get past, I am today choosing to put it under your authority. So what you say, who you are, all of it, what you've done, all of it is going to rule over my sin. So my sin no longer is going to speak to me about the way life should be, but you and your word are going to tell me how I should view my sin so Jesus is king. He's king. Now John ties two things together here. Two dots are connected. Belief and being born again. The two go together. When you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you are born again. It's like, it's like this. Uh, I remember when Silas was born. The moment he came into this world and the doctor held him. Tara and I and everyone in that room just like if you've got kids you know that moment you're so excited but you're holding your breath why because you're waiting for something what what are you waiting for you're waiting for that baby to cry You're waiting for that baby to cry. You see, when you're born into this world, to cry out is a sign of life. And for you and I, when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, we coming into his family can cry out to him. We can place ourselves under his authority, and we, as a sign of life, cry out. We say, we need you. We trust you. We believe that you can deliver us from everything that we need delivered of. You see, there's things all over the seen world that point to unseen truths. Just like a baby being born into the world, the Bible speaks at great length about physical realities that are spiritual truths. And one of them, Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, so the same author who wrote this tells us the story of Jesus telling the Pharisee that you've got to be born again. Just like you were born of water, you were born physically, you've got to be born of the Spirit that every single one of us has to be born again but when you're born again new purpose identity you get a new nature you're adopted into a new family you have a new home in heaven you have a new purpose on earth everything changes when you were born again we call it regeneration The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, He puts His Holy Spirit in you, and you are made new. doesn't mean life is perfect from there on out. It just means God has got a hold of your soul. He has sanctified it. He said, I call you clean. I have washed you by the blood of Jesus. Now, every day that you walk on this earth until either Jesus comes back or you go to see Him face to face, it's going to be a process. You're going to look more like Him and less like your old life. But don't be hard on yourself. Don't sit in shame and guilt. Just walk with me. Just walk. You say, yeah, I get it that you got to be born again. But when I look back at my life, I um, I think you know, I pretty much I was born a Christian. Now, <laughs> you hear a lot of people say that I was born a Christian. You might have been born into a family that had some Christians in it, but you weren't born a Christian. Everyone's got to make that decision, and belief and being born are always tied together. You got to believe to be born. But it's a beautiful thing because a new birth. Changes not only your identity, but your identity dictates your activity. You see, little kids want to be like their parents, don't they? Little kids, they want to imitate their parents. I grew up in Little Hillbilly, Randolph, Kansas. You guys have heard about it way more than you ever thought you would learn about Randolph, Kansas. But uh, in this town, people used funny terms like darn and gosh, on a regular basis. And growing up, my parents, they, they would, uh, when they would finish a project or when they would do something, they would look back, uh, my dad would, would say, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> that's a pretty darn good job. That's pretty darn good, this, that's pretty good. Darn. And he would say that over and over and over, and I just, it, it sunk in. And so now when I do things with Silas, I'll, I'll stand there and I'll say, huh, he did a pretty darn good job. That looks pretty darn good. And we went on vacation this past week, and we're in Burlington, Colorado. It's 40 degrees outside, and we just got to stop. We drove from here to Burlington, and he thankfully made it that far without having a meltdown, and so we got out, and we said, we got to let the boy run a little bit, so it's 40 degrees, but we bundle him up, and the wind is whipping, and it's cold, but he's got a coat on, and he's in this park, and this park was awesome, it was randomly uh, just there in this town by the interstate, but it um, had like a rocket ship, and it had a weird tractor, and it had just all kinds of awesome equipment, and so he's running, sprinting back and forth, like he's so caught up in his stuff, and yet... Um, when I was following him around, and he went up to the tractor, I said, Hey, man, what do you think about this tractor? He went up, and he rubbed the engine on that thing, and that's freezing. And he, and he touches that, and he stands back, and he says, Dad, his little three-year-old voice, that's a pretty darn good tractor. I said, What do you know? I said, Who are you? What do you know about tractors? And a, little, a couple minutes later, he went over to the park, and even though he wanted to play on the equipment, he stood back, he stopped, and he did this. He folded his arms and said, Dad, that's a pretty darn good park. And I say, who are you? What are you talking about? But that's what little boys do. They want to be like their dad. And when you're born again, you want to be more and more like your father. And your father has overcome sin. And your father has the power to, and he gives it to you. Some of us, we need to get back to a childlike faith. Sometimes I think the further you go in Christianity, the more hardened your heart gets to some things. The more you actually lose faith, Trusting that God can overcome issues in your family, issues in your heart. And every day that goes on that you have the same drama, you start to believe, maybe it just wasn't meant to be that I would be able to get over this sin, get past it. And God's saying, no, daily you need to wake up like a little child who believes his father has the best for him, that I want you to overcome this. Not in anything you can do, but in what Christ has done for you. The same son that welcomes you into the family of God is the son that sets you free from your past and your present. Do you still believe that Jesus is the Christ? Rest of verse 1 into verse 2 says, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments... Second question I want to ask you is, where do you belong? So what do you believe and where do you belong? Now, again, you might look at this and you, and you think, man, if the theme of this is that we're overcomers, why isn't there like a practical one, two, three, four, five step deal as to how I can get out of my sin? We're not going to chase, even though some of that is very valuable, we're not, we're not going to chase the fruit of our sin and try to deal with it. We're going straight to the roots. So we're... Do you belong? More importantly, do you belong to this family? This family of God that is incredibly powerful. The power reigns in it. You see, in God's eyes, you and I, we are a part of his family. And God wants you to love him, but he wants you to love each other. Nobody welcomes someone into a family and says, it's okay for you to love me but to hate your brothers and sisters. That doesn't happen. You look at this verse and a half and you say, what does this even have to do with overcoming? Why are we talking about loving each other over and over and over and over? John says this. He talks about how in order to love God, to receive God's love, you got to love one another because what comes to you will flow through you. And so we know that our culture has issues with this because we... (laughs) And it's true, in the church, we don't always get along, and that's okay. It didn't say we always have to like each other, but we got to love each other. And again, love is marked by sacrifice, selflessness. It's marked by commitment. It's not saying, I'm going to agree with you on every little thing, but I'm going to agree with you on the big things, and I'm going to love you even when I don't like you. It happens all the time. But our culture doesn't know what a healthy family looks like. That's the irony of some of the discussions we're having in in America right now is uh, that we have people who have grown up in families where they don't know their family trying to define what family should look like. That seems kind of silly. Even in healthy families, or what we would call healthy families, growing up now where kids get jobs and they go across the country, they go all over the place, So many of us, we don't know our uh, not only our mothers and fathers, but our grandmas and grandpas and our cousins and extended family. You ever seen one of those TV shows uh, where the whole point of the show was to do some uh, like genealogical research and finding out where you came from, or even the kind of shows where the whole point of it is to do a bunch of research to hire someone to find out where your lost brother is or your sister is or your lost parent is? And it's all tense, isn't it? And it kind of pulls you in. You're like, wow, this is is getting good. And at the end of it, when they find someone that they're related to, what happens? They melt down emotionally, don't they? One way or another, good or bad. They're either really happy or they are really sad. But they melt emotionally. Why? Because they were created to be part of a family. And there's power in being part of a family. And so I just want to ask you, before we even dig any deeper than this, where do you belong? I think there are a lot, a lot, a lot of Christians who hang out together in worship services because this is where the teaching is. (laughs) There's more and more Christians who stay at home and watch things online rather than gathering with other Christians because it's more convenient. Most of us legitimately do not have many connections to other Christians. And God's saying... (laughs) Before we even talk about overcoming the world, before we even talk about fulfilling other commands, do you love one another and you got to be around one another to love one another? Do you have deep rooted connections with anyone else in this church? Or if you go to another church, in that church? It's becoming more and more rare, but it's incredibly important. You see, in 1st century culture and the jewish faith for you to call somebody that wasn't a brother or sister brother or sister it wasn't just odd it was in many ways against the law you say why because to be a brother or sister there were uh, family rights and there was inheritance rights and if you claimed that someone was your brother and sister who weren't your brother and sisters there could be some legal ramifications because of the inheritance And yet the early church... They find themselves over and over and over and over calling the people around them brothers and sisters. Why? Because they realized we have a love from a father, a heavenly father, regardless of what our experience with an earthly father is, that has given us an inheritance in heaven worth much more than the inheritance we have on earth. And we are part of a family, and we're not ashamed to call each other brothers and sisters. They had deep, deep connections. There are people, hopefully you, who you knew, if something happened to my kids, there are people that don't share my same last name that I would trust because we are spiritual family i would trust them to take my kids there are people that we have in this church who have such close relationships they have not just fulfilled their earthly desire for family but they have found themselves learning more about family experiencing love in a family that they never ever could have imagined do you have that do you have that when you come here on a sunday do you even know the people that sit next to you And I know sometimes it can be hard. If you're in a growing church, there's going to be new people all the time. But where do you belong? This is crucial. I promise this will make sense in a minute why this is so crucial to overcoming. But over and over and over, it says that everyone who loves the Father loves. Love, love, love. Over 40 times, John talks about love. God's love. You see, in order for you to overcome sin, you've got to be consumed with love. Not just love for one another, but love from the Father. You've got to be consumed with love. You'll notice when you disciple somebody, those who have the hardest time overcoming sin usually also have the hardest time believing and receiving the Father's love. That if you really get down and you ask them questions, heart questions, You'll find they're frustrated with their behavior. But if you dig deeper, you say, do you know God's love? Let's talk about God's love. Don't be surprised if you find them in tears. Because they struggle to receive it. They struggle to believe it. I always feel inadequate when I talk about God's love. Because I know, man. I can I can get passionate. I can tell you guys, God loves you. His love is amazing. It's unending. It's not going to die on you. Like it is there. It is refreshing every single day. It is. I can tell you, all I know about God's love, and I know I'm still leaving so much on the table. This past week, uh, when we were in Utah, anytime we go um, anywhere, I got to have adventure, right? I'm just that guy. And so we went to go see. Um, our old church family, a Gospel Community Church in Price, Utah. And before we went there, though, we spent a day in Moab. Any of you ever been to Moab? No? One of you? yep, yeah. Because you'll be missing out the rest of you. It is awesome. It is exciting. If you ever want to go on a national park tour, southern Utah is your place. And so we went there, and we just went hiking and had a blast. And I had a whole bunch planned for this one little state park called Dead Horse Point State Park. It's 2,000 feet above the Colorado River, and it is beautiful. It ain't the Grand Canyon, but it ain't that far off. I mean, it is just beautiful. Now, there's hiking all around this plateau. They call it an island in in the sky. And so the hikes just go all along the rim. And there's places where there's a guardrail, a lot of places where there's not. And I had in my mind, I thought, "Well, Silas is three, he's obedient. If we hold his hand, we can um, we can do this. And so we pull up and go to the visitor center, and I'm thinking, okay, we'll do this, we'll check out that, and then we'll grab some lunch, and, and we'll go on this hike, and it'll be fun. I started looking over the edge, I'm like, yeah, man, I, know, I don't know about this. And I knew where it was, we'd been in the area before, but uh, we went to the end, the tip of it, to see the view, and... and I got up close, and I thought, you know what, Tara, I I know I'm being a control freak here, but, like, I'm just kind of panicking inside a little bit, looking over the edge here. Um, How about one of us stays, like, 30 feet back with Silas, and the other one can look, and then we'll, like, switch up so that we can look on the edge. And so we did that, and she's like, okay, I'll just let you do whatever. And she felt the same way I did, and we were just really protective. We end up going back to the visitor center. It's like, okay, we've seen the views. Now let's go on this hike. We turn off the car. I say, I don't want to do this. Says, I, I think we could be. I think we'd be okay. I said, I can't do this. I cannot do this. She said, Why? What's why? And I said, There's places where even if he, just something happens, like I can't live with myself knowing that that kind of tragedy, like I put us in that position, even if a freak accident happens. You see, that's what a father's love does. The heart of a father says, I, I have my boy, I have my kids, and I want to protect them. I love them. I can't put them in danger. And in that moment, I realized, well, that's how God feels about Jesus. He doesn't want him dead in and of itself. And yet, He looks at mankind in our sin and says, someone's got to die for the sin. And if the only one who can truly pay the price is my son, I'm not just sending him 2,000 feet down to the Colorado River. I'm sending him from heaven to earth to die for these people. And yet his heart was still the heart of a father that says, I love you, I want to protect you, I want you here with me. And yet he sent him. Like, I just can't get over that kind of love. As a father, I can't even fathom that kind of love. And yet, that's the kind of love that God has for you. And you say, okay, I can grasp a little bit of that, but I still don't understand how that helps me to overcome. And there's two primary ways that loving the people around you and receiving the Father's love helps you to overcome. Number one, in order for you to overcome sin, It's got to be compelled by love. That's what compels obedience. And we know since love for others is something we can only truly do when we have received the love of God, it's proof, it's evidence when we're loving our brothers and sisters in the faith that we have received the love that God has. And that's the very love that's going to motivate us, compel us to obey. Number two. When you don't love your family, you don't get support from your family because you isolate yourself. And so if you find yourself not loving the brothers and sisters in the faith, you're probably not going to have many close connections with Christians who have the power of God in them, who who want to love you, who want to help you. And it's going to be hard in your moment of need when you're the only one out there trying to help you, knowing there's a whole bunch of Christians, yeah, they might be hypocritical. Yeah, they got flaws just like you got. But if you reject them, you're also rejecting a whole bunch of support and accountability and help. And God didn't just bring us into this family to say, let's see if they can get along. He brought us into this family to say, there's power in here. And they're going to need each other. They're going to need each other. Let me ask you, when was the last time you received a rebuke or even some correction from another believer? Like, do you even have relationships with other Christians that would put you in a place where they could speak that kind of truth into you? And number two, is your heart in such a way that you would receive it? Sometimes I wonder. And when I stand on that stage and I look out and I know some of these Christians have been hearing sermon after sermon after sermon 20, 30, 40 years. Sometimes those who hear the most sermons reject the most truth. There's people in this room, in this church, in this city that want to speak life into you and sometimes it doesn't always feel good when it's going down. It doesn't always taste good when it's going down but it's good for you and there's power in family. When the Holy Spirit is at the center, there's power. So, what do you believe? Where do you belong? In verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. The third question you can ask yourself is, What is your motivation? What is your motivation? This is the love of God. This is what love looks like, that you actually do what he says. This is why the whole theme of this book is, follow me. <laughs> if you actually want to follow Jesus, you've got to actually follow Jesus. And it says his commandments are not burdensome. The word burdensome means that it's not difficult, it's not troublesome. The Greek means it's not difficult to do this. So we do what God says. And it's not hard to do. Now, how many of you, that's been your experience? (laughs) To do what God says isn't very hard to do. No, for most of us, to do what God says is very hard to do. And yet it says, that's not difficult. This is John. Listen to me. Some of you might not get much out of tonight. I don't know. Others, maybe you're eating this up. This is the key. This right here is the key. I don't want to oversell it, but this is the key to unlock your obedience, to unlock your, you, you overcoming sin. This is the key. This right here, that his commandments are not burdensome. If this is true, and it is true, but you're not experiencing it, then the good news is there's still more left on the table for you to experience. <laughs> That's good news. The bad news is, is you might be heading down the wrong path. But he says it's not burdensome. Listen, uh, you, how many of you, when you go to the gym, you see that stair climber? There's like four or five steps, and you just climb up the stairs. You can set different pace. How many of you think that's miserable? Anyone do that? Like two of you? Okay, there's only two of you that work out. Okay, that's good. Um, I don't think it's that miserable. You want to know why? Because every time I jump on that thing, and it's rare, but every time I jump on that thing, I can't help but to think back. Ten years ago when I was in school for fire science and I was training to be a wildland firefighter, and the test to do that was to walk three miles with 45 pounds on your back and do these different things. And I remember in training, I would always have to wear that 45-pound vest, and I would often have dumbbells on top of that, and I would just go up. The stair climber over and over and over, and it was miserable. So when I look at the stair climber now, I think, it ain't nothing. And those who haven't done that, they they think this is still horrible. But when you've come from something that was really burdensome, then something that isn't burdensome, it seems like life. And you see, for those of you who grew up in a religious home, and I'm not using that word in a good way, not that it's always used in a bad way, but a home that just hammered, hammered, hammered the rules. And there wasn't much grace and there wasn't much mercy. You understand that that oftentimes religion takes God's blessings and makes them burdens. Takes God's blessing and and makes them bondage. The, The religious take what God has given us that is good, And says, we get to do this. And says, no, it's bad. And you have to do this. The religious says, here, you can carry this impossible load. And if you fail, you go to hell. And if you don't fail, you're going to die trying. And it's a lose-lose. That's what religion does. You see... When rules are attached to fear and condemnation, they're miserable, aren't they? Well, When you think about God's commands and, and not fulfilling them, uh, you think of fear <laughs> because I'm going to be judged, because I'm going to be condemned. It's never going to be appealing to obey them. It's never going to seem easy. It's always going to seem burdensome when there's condemnation at the end of the tunnel, isn't it? But what does Jesus say? He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. that's true, that changes everything. And why does it change everything? Because when we see God's commandments and we say, how in the world can they not be burdensome? It's because they're not attached to fear. They're not attached to judgment. They're not attached to condemnation because we are not condemned when we are in Christ. And we realize Jesus, he took the wrath of God in our place. He took the condemnation. He says, here, I'll take the cross, you take the kingdom. And he transfers... All the junk that we had coming to us from God and his wrath, and he puts it on himself. That's the great exchange, and we get his righteousness. That changes the way we, we view rules. You look at the, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, and you'll hear this young man talk about the precepts of God, the law of God. He says, I delight in the law of God. I love the precepts of God. He's talking about rules over and over and over, and yet his attitude towards them is nothing like our attitude, right? Like he loves them. He finds life in them. And when you realize that God gave you, He gave you boundaries for your own good. He, he gave you rules for your own good. They're not burdensome, they're life giving. They're done with freedom. Rules have never been the issue, motivation has. If you do these commandments to try to be good with God, and in your own strength, it'll never work out good. But when you realize that God has done it in your place, that he fulfilled the law perfectly, and that you get to freely enjoy the blessing of his boundaries, it'll always be a beautiful thing. It'll always be a beautiful thing. You ever met somebody who was easy to love? Maybe a boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe um, a friend, a coworker someone in your family, they're just easy to love. When you see them, you just think, man, I love them. It's easy to love them. Every time I'm around them, it's easy to like them, it's easy to love them. You ever had that person on the flip side, you ever had someone who's just hard to love? Someone that that even as I'm speaking this, someone's coming to mind, you're thinking, man, I know I should love them, but I have a really, really, really hard time. Has that ever been the same person? (laughs) person who's easy to love is also the person hard to love we got those people too well god is easy to love he's always easy to love because he's perfect and he's good and you say well how in the world then does it still feel like sometimes his commandments are burdensome why because your flesh because the devil because this broken world feeds you junk all the time. And when you're trying to be on a spiritual diet, you can't have this culture's junk food. It doesn't work out very well. There's all kinds of reasons. Let me ask you, though. When it comes to your motivation in serving God and obeying Him, let me just ask you, how's your walk? With him been lately. I mean, when you get down to it, like if you're frustrated right now, maybe it's because in in your walk with Jesus right now, you're in a routine that feels more religious than refreshing. (laughs) Maybe it's because you feel uh, like things are blocked, like you're trying to talk to God, but you just don't feel like He's hearing you. Maybe it just feels broken because you know you've been a mess lately. And you're like, I don't even know how he views me. I don't know how he can even be okay with me at all. It's just a mess. Or maybe you're just bored in your relationship with God. you got to understand, in order for it to not be burdensome, you and I, we got to be plugged in. We've got to be abiding. We've got to be filling ourselves with what's good. And let me just challenge you in this. For some of you, you got a routine, a daily devotion, and yet you're still not finding it very easy to obey. And sometimes it just flat out won't be. But let me encourage you, add some spontaneity to your worship. Break out of the box. Don't just open your daily devotion and you got your few verses and you got your journal and you do your thing. Man, take it further. Stop in the parking lot and spend some time praying passionately. Find yourself at night with your spouse talking to the Lord in ways that you haven't maybe for years. Break out of the box. Spice it up. God wants you to feel refreshed and renewed when you come to him and find life in him. And sometimes the way, the box that we put around ourselves and even coming to him in our routines, they can be beautiful and they can be great. There's something certainly to be said for discipline. But sometimes when you're in it so much... The doldrums. Just make it so routine that you don't find yourself refreshed. Last but not least. Verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So here's the word overcome. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So verse 5 ties right back to verse 1 in belief. The last thing we see, the last question we'll ask you is how do you behave? How do you behave? So again, go back to belief. Belief dictates our behavior. We don't want just behavior modification just for the fun of it. But we need a new heart. We need a new nature. And when we have that, it changes the way that we behave. The word overcome means to be victorious, to conquer. Of course, Romans 8 says that we are more than conquerors in Christ. This is good news. This is good news. This doesn't mean that just... Again, past tense, that he saves us from the consequence of sin. But if we are more than conquerors, that's present tense. That means this is a promise from Scripture that in Christ you can have the power of the cross 2,000 years ago be the power of your life today. There's nothing. I know some of us are convinced there's junk in our life that just ain't going to go away. God's saying, you can have that power. The gospel is still good news. The gospel is still good news victorious, to conquer. Of course, when we talk about the world, we're talking about temptation, we're talking about sin, and overcoming the things that are holding us back, that are pulling us down to live obediently to Christ. Man, this is important, this is so important, because not only is this good news, that what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago on a cross is not just good for then, but it is good today. Today. And that he is this is even better news coming back, and he 's going to rule and reign on earth, but in the meantime, between the cross and be- between uh, him coming back, we with the power of the Holy Spirit, are called more than conquerors that we can be victorious and this isn 't something that i 'm just telling you because i want to I want to puff you up. This is a promise of scripture this is a promise of scripture, and this is the beautiful thing about being an overcomer tonight i 'm telling you all throughout. First John, we've talked about what it really means to be a true believer. But to be an overcomer is as much a mark of a true follower of Jesus as following any other commandment. But this is to the benefit of you. There's some of us that need to be set free from some chains. This is good news that we have it. We live in victory because we believe in Jesus we believe he overcame the world. That he was perfect. That he didn't give in to temptation. That he didn't sin. That he conquered sin, death, and hell while he died on the cross. It's good news because we know that we belong to Jesus and his family. It's good news because we know that the cross is what motivates us. That we have the grace and mercy of God. That we don't need to sit in guilt and shame. And it's good news because... We know that wherever Jesus goes, victory goes with him. And when you find yourself in Christ, you can find yourself victorious. I'm telling you what, I don't want to go on a crazy rant, but let me go on a crazy rant for just a second. You and I, in 2017, are really, 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 really good at relating to each other as sinners. I've talked about this in the past, but it's got to be brought up again. We go to our grow groups, and we connect. Why? Because we recognize our failures. Oh, you messed up that way? I mess up that way, too. Oh, you messed And that's great. That's wonderful. There's a space for that. But when that rules the day, nobody knows what victory in Christ looks like. Nobody. How many people do you know that can tell you straight up, here's how God set me free? This week, not just once in their life, but even just this week from some sin. Now, hopefully you get to a place where you don't have so much drama going on that you need to be set free from something huge every day, but there's always something in our lives that we need set free from. As long as you live on this broken earth, a broken vessel, there's going to be some of that. We need more and more examples of victory. We need to be able to relate to each other as conquerors. I mean, who do you know that if you were struggling with something major, you know, Man, they follow Jesus and they have been healed of that. They have victory in that. And they trusted God's promise and they walk in it. They don't just walk in it in the past tense. They walk in it today. How many people do you know I could go talk to them? You got young men struggling with porn. To the extent that everyone can relate. And you say, well, every young man's going to struggle with it at some point. That's just part of being a young man. And yet we as a culture have gotten to a place where there's not many men, older or younger, who can say, yeah, I used to struggle with that, but I've overcome it in Jesus. I say, where are those guys? Has anyone experienced some victory in anything? This is big. <laughs> I went to preach in Price Sunday, and most of the people in the church that we started five years ago have been gone now for almost three years. Most of the people there, i had never met. And as what it feels like a spiritual father to them, that was a blessing. I mean, this is growing. This ministry is growing and it's healthy. Within the past year, Carbon County, 20,000 residents in the middle of Utah, where Price is smack dab in the middle of, the main city in that county, claimed per capita to be the number one county in America, with the highest drug overdose deaths per capita, per person. Price, in the middle of nowhere in the desert, when we were there for the two years, once every eight days, once every eight days, there would be someone in that little town of 10,000 people who would kill themselves or have a drug overdose death. I could tell you off the top of my head, we have three four or five hundred people on Crosspoint Salina. I could tell you off the top of my head, just via seeing on Facebook, four or five people who have died in the last year in price. Just via Facebook that we knew from drug overdose deaths. I couldn't tell you one or two here. Thank God for that on one hand. But it's crazy. And here's the crazy thing. Knowing the culture, knowing how hard it is out there, knowing all the issues with alcoholism and drugs, I came in there, and after I got done preaching, person after person, I'd never met before, came up to shake my hand. Hey, man, you don't know me. My name's so and so. And I just want you, I've been clean for a year. They just come up and tell me that. Hey, I've been clean for three months. Hey, man, I've been clean for two years. And they're telling me about how God is changing their lives. And I know this culture and I know how bad it sucks people in. And I know the drama and I, I just, I know the history and I know that it's getting worse. And yet in the middle of this dark, dark city, there's a light and people are finding hope and they're finding healing. And I'm just amazed. I was looking at it, I was like, <laughs> what? This is awesome. Like, this is amazing. it is one person, not just two, like person after person after person. And yet the rest of that city isn't having stories like that. I'm thinking, you only find that in Jesus. You only find that in Jesus. They got more recovery programs. They got more state-funded stuff than you can imagine coming their way. And yet, those who are finding deliverance are finding it in King Jesus. I was amazed at the stories. And we need more of that. Let me ask you tonight, as we wrap this up. What do you need to put to death? It's time that we as the church stop sitting back and, and playing the victim to sin when our Savior has died for it and has given us the power to overcome it today. What, what do you need put to death? For some of us, it's something physical. It's a relationship that just needs to end. It's a website that just needs to be blocked. It's a hobby it just needs to go. For some of us, it's mental. We have thoughts that are tearing us up, and we need to claim Scripture and say, you know what? Scripture tells me to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. So when it comes into my mind, I've got to recognize my thoughts don't rule my life. I own them. They don't own me. And I'm going to tell them, hey, this is the truth. That's not the truth. If I'm having uh, a lie pop into my mind, if I'm having deceit pop into my mind, I'm going to test it against Christ and His Word, and I'm not going to just entertain any little thought that puts me in a horrible mood and changes the rest of my day and messes me up. For some of us, it's straight spiritual. We know the devil has got a foothold in our life and he doesn't want anything to get shaken up. He doesn't want you to come to little old cross training on Wednesday nights and have some punk preacher tell you some good news about Jesus so you can find some hope and some healing. He doesn't want anything to change. And Jesus is saying it's time for it to change. When you, in your own life, or when you're discipling someone, you've got to recognize, and I'm gonna, this is going to sound a little bit odd, If they are truly born again, if you are truly born again, that in the moment of temptation, my advice is this. i got to finish it because it won't sound right when I first say it. Give in to your deepest desire. Give in to your deepest desire. Here's what I mean. If you sit and you counsel someone who's truly born again, but they got a big struggle going on, then if you ask them this question, what do you want? They will generally tell you the surface level desire. They'll say, my marriage is struggling. What do I want? I want a divorce. You say, no, what do you want? What's your deepest desire? Eventually, don't be surprised. If they break down, they say, I want us to work it out. I want my wife back. I want my husband back. I want to honor God with our marriage. That's what I really want. You ask someone struggling with seeing things they shouldn't, with lust, you say, what do you want? Man, I just want to give in to the temptation. Now, what do you really want? If you're born of God, what do you really want? What I really want is purity. What I really want is to live a life holy to God. You see, temptation will always be the surface level desire. But obedience to Jesus will always be the deepest desire if you are truly born again. And when you're in the midst of temptation, and I'll leave this here tonight. When you're in the midst of temptation, you will always have the surface level desires fight and claw to consume your mind. And yet there's a voice underneath all that junk that's speaking and saying, you know, you love me. You know, you want me. You know where the power is. Don't give in to the, vo- to the, to the voices that are crying out the loudest. That's Jesus talking. And your job daily, if you want to be an overcomer, when you know the truth, when you know what family you belong to, when you know the power you got, is to make sure that the voice of Jesus doesn't get buried underneath the voices of everything else and that you put him back on the throne as king. When you get more consumed with your Savior than you are with your sin, more focused on your Savior than you are in your sin, you're going to experience some victory. Let Jesus reign. Let's pray.